This podcast is sponsored by Xgrowth. Xgrowth is the APAC ABM agency. If you and your organization are looking to land and expand enterprise mid-market deals, Xgrowth is the agency to help. Xgrowth works with a wide range of international and global technology vendors, service providers, and B2B SaaS companies. If this sounds like some of your interests to know more about, make sure to check out Xgrowth at xgrowth.com.au. That's xgrowth.com.au and chat with the APAC ABM agency. What's up, marketers, and welcome to another episode of the Growth Colony Podcast. I'm Liza from Xgrowth to tell you that each episode we bring in B2B leaders to chat about how you can achieve those everyday wins in the marketing world. Whether you're new to the B2B game, working at a leadership level, or even just showing some interest, we know you'll love the episode. So grab a drink, get comfy, and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode. I'm Shaheen Hoda with Xgrowth, and today I'm talking to Deborah Sutton, Regional Vice President of Marketing for Asia Pacific at WalkMe, about how B2B marketers should change their view when it comes to attribution and approach it in a way that will strengthen their position in the organization and help them build a stronger relationship with the sales team. On that note, let's dive in. Deborah, thanks for joining us. Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. No, absolute pleasure. I'm, I'm super excited for us to have this chat because the relationship with sales is super important and attribution also is a bit of a touchy subject, especially right now. One of the things that we've spoken previously is that you believe in relationships and specifically relationships are kind of the fundamental element of marketing when you look at it. Can you unpack that a little bit for, for, for us and for our chat? Absolutely. You know, I have, and just as a you know, disclaimer for everyone that's listening, I'm coming from the, uh, from the background or from I'm speaking from a point of view or perspective where I work for a software company that deals with the large commercial and enterprise space. So very B2B you know, large deal sizes, long sales cycles. It's not a transactional sale. It's a, it's a, you know, it's very much a relationship sale in the business that I'm in and the businesses I've worked for in my career have always been like that. So, so apologies to anyone that maybe is, uh, works in a much more transactional environment or digital environment maybe, but uh, I'm working with people and sales teams who who are really trying to engage with that C-suite audience. They're really trying to build their relationships with their C-suite audience. And so that might be a CIO or a CDO or CHRO, those types of, you know, personas are the ones that we would look to engage with. And so on that, and so I come from that perspective. And so on that note, you know, you really have to drive relationships. Relationships are so important. And I'm in, in technology, especially, again, that's coming from the perspective that I work in. I think we've been quite robotic in the way that we've marketed to our, you know, to our audience. I'm a really big fan of humanizing all your touch points. Like speak to your market or your audience like humans. 
like people who have interests and, and you know, putting a bit more personality, tone of voice. I mean, typically in the last number of years, the sort of emails and, and outreach that you might get from a soft, software or technology company is quite bland and, um, and certainly doesn't have enormous uh, sort of personality in it. I think the only, you know, company that's done that really, really well would be Salesforce. You know, right from the get-go, they humanized and made very personal marketing. And that was very different to the atypical technology software marketing of the day when they first kicked off. And, you know, Mark Benioff was the chief marketing officer for Oracle before he started Salesforce. So he certainly, he knew what he was doing. And uh, I think he he is a great example of driving, you know, a successful business through humanizing your touch points, humanizing your outreach and treating your audience like people that you want to build a relationship with. So that's sort of what I, that's a little taste, I guess, of how I approach uh, a lot of things that I do. I love that. And uh, Deborah, I mean, that's really fascinating. And, and we were earlier chatting about some of the campaigns that, that you run for marketing. I, I really want to dive a little bit deeper into that as well, in terms of how, if you can give examples of how you've implemented or brought that human element to build those relationships in some of your marketing campaigns, because I feel like this is something that maybe some people talk about, but usually they don't have enough data to back it up. And they're like, oh, we got to humanize stuff. But then uh, what comes out is a very a lot of fluff. Can you give some example in terms of how you implement this or if there are campaigns that you've implemented this, that you've, you've really drove that building relationship component and human aspect of the campaign strong into the, into the work that you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. So I work for a company called WalkMe, and WalkMe is definitely a, uh, a scaling, growing company. It's pretty young. It's only been on the stock exchange now or IPO'd for about a year and a half, I think, maybe close to two years, somewhere around that mark. But it, it is a brand new category, and that's the important thing to note. It's, we, we do what's called digital adoption. And this is a brand new category. Gartner have just created this new category. And what it, there's many ways to explain to people what digital adoption is. But the best way we could do it to explain it was to create like a, a uh, to create a story where people could really see themselves in it. So I came up with this campaign called the Walk Me Challenge. And it was sort of a bit based on the Pepsi challenge in a lot of ways, was, you know, putting two people or putting someone in front of something and them sort of seeing what the difference is. And so what we did is we we created these video, uh, these uh, three separate videos and we created a microsite. And in each video, we put uh, two people or employee contestants, as we like to call them. We gave them the same task, the same software and and then asked them to jump on and do it. And you, one person had walked me, one person didn't. But we gave them very, we gave them real life experiences that they would really relate to. And what that means is one of the videos is called First Day on the Job. And this is two people, two employee contestants sit down, they're given a task, it's your first day in the job, you need to go into your HR software and update your banking details. And then once you've done that, go into your service management software or portal and order a mobile phone. 
most people can relate to that, you know, moment, that onboarding experience maybe that when you start a new job. Uh, and so we set them up, push, go. Now, one person has walked me on top of their screen and on top of their software and guiding them through the whole onboarding process. And the other person is just on their own as what would normally happen and trying to figure it out for themselves. And the person with WalkMe can uh, get through those two things very quickly in about a minute 25. The person without WalkMe struggles and struggles and struggles. And often we just stop them and, you know, um, and we say, don't, you know, we'll stop you there. And then we get them to change chairs and we get them to try each other's side. Now, the person who didn't have WalkMe gets to experience a very different end user experience and the person that did have WalkMe gets the other side of it. And uh, it's so fantastic watching people's reactions, responses, but we can all see ourselves in those moments. And it's a really uh, quick and easy way to explain digital adoption and what what we does and uh, but it also because you can we you know you can see the screens of both people and etc etc during the videos but it also shows the power of having a digital adoption strategy in your organization because productivity goes up employee experience goes up through the roof you know people are happy engaged uh, the person without walk me gets so frustrated and you know we we live in this age now where everyone's working from home you don't have someone on you know next to you at the desk that you can just say hey can you help me do this then those you know days really are behind us in a lot of ways so it, those are the um, sort of humanizing factors that we did with this campaign and it's been so successful for us it's gone global uh, they're using it now, uh, WalkMe using it around the world. And we also do these WalkMe challenges live at events. So we do them at our own events. We do them at conferences. And we've also had our customers ask us to come in and do it. Like large banking organizations have asked us to come in and do the WalkMe challenge for their own internal staff, large, you know, 6,000 people departments. And then uh, so have our partners like Accenture and Deloitte have asked us to come and do the WalkMe challenge for their own consultants to show and teach and educate the market around digital adoption because, as I mentioned, it's a brand new category. Uh, But the other thing is that, you know, we've been doing some TikToks around this as well. We made some really fun, while we were shooting the videos, um, we we shot a couple of TikToks on the side um, with them because we had talent uh, who were the hosts running and managing the challenges and we used them to create some fun little TikToks and we found that to be incredibly successful way to engage with the market as well highly targeted you know geo targeted age targeted like we really didn't just throw it out there to the world and we knew the audience that we were trying to engage with over tiktok and that was a surprisingly successful piece of um piece of the campaign as well i love that i love that for uh, for those in the b2b who hasn't haven't started looking at tiktok make sure you take note but that is such a great example of kind of humanizing your your campaign and very clearly showing the frustrations that a user has going through um, the the pain point that a company is solving. But let's let's change gears, Deborah, and I want to talk about your approach to building relationships internally, especially with the sales organization. How do you approach the sales team in order to further reinforce that relationship between sales and marketing yeah and look this is my probably number one thing 
I mean, there's so many number ones, but this is, you know, the top three, let's call it, you know, you're, and again, coming from the perspective where I have, I do a marketing role where sales and marketing are very symbiotic, you know, we need each other. And we typically, in the companies I've worked for in the past and the things I've seen, especially when I was young in my career, it was so typical in tech to see sales and marketing at war with each other. In, you know, large multinational software companies, you know, sales always, you know, complaining about marketing, marketing always whinging about sales. And it seemed to me, even back then, a real lost opportunity and I didn't really understand it. And I did come from a bit of an advertising background before I started in tech. So I probably, I have really often have a service mentality, you know, or a hat on, you know, in a lot of ways. And, and because I see that as a very powerful approach, you know, you've got to know your position in the company. And to be honest, marketing is there to help the business achieve better revenue at the end of the day and the people who are out there closing that those deals and doing those sales is the sales team. So marketing in a lot of ways is there to help support and serve, you know, the success of sales. And I, I say serve tentatively because that doesn't mean to be super clear. It doesn't mean to be subservient and it doesn't mean to lack strategy or anything like that. What it does mean is knowing that my job is to partner with sales. And I would say, as you would know, that, you know, when you're an agency and you're partnering with a client, you're, you're there as an advisor and you're there to help them succeed. And that is very much the approach I take with my sales organisation. I'm there to help them succeed. I am there to make sure that, the activities that we're doing are aligned, that everybody is happy with them, that we have clarity of plan, and but those relationships are super important. And as I mentioned, it's so um, it's so good when you have a symbiotic relationship where each party, the like the leader of the sales organisation or the or the region that you may be dealing with, uh, working closely with sales. That's where, and you can. Both of you can run your organisations, you know, together with one plan, one, you know, North Star. That's where the magic happens. I love it. I mean, yeah, and, and, it, and I think, you know, you talked about earlier in your, in your career, but I still think it's, it still happens and, and it's still, you know, I, I know a lot of organisations where that relationship, it's not healthy. It's either a clash it's a toxic relationship. It's a it's an abusive relationship in some companies, and uh, and and still exists. And and you you see that drastic growth in companies that have really figured it out. And from a leadership perspective, they're aligned. But I want to touch on specifically with regards to attribution. Where does attribution come in, and how can that play a role in building that sales and marketing relationship? Yeah. So. Attribution, I would have to say, when it comes to B2B relationship marketing. So, and again, you know, a lot of companies can do B2B, but when you're dealing with large enterprise, you know, the real, uh, you know, your Qantas, Woolworths, 
your CBAs, you know, of the world, when you're really dealing with large, large uh, enterprise, it's a very different sales motion. So attribution can be a bit of a dirty word because if you, it is very, very tricky to, when you're building activities based on relationship building with C-suite, you know, with your C-level audience, the activities that you do, whether it be ABX, whether it be, um, you know, hospitality, whether it be certain roundtable lunches or dinners or, you know, there's lots of, lots of different tactics. But you'll find most of those tactics, fantastic things can happen at all of those, in all of those sort of tactics, very hard to attribute and monitor because so much goes on and you'll never see the results in a short period of time. You're going to take six to six months minimum probably to see those results. So, so much attribution is looking at in-quarter pipe, like an, a campaign you did in this quarter and what the, were those results this quarter, which is a really poor way to, to look at um, you know, attribution. But, you know, it, it's like what often happens is someone comes to a roundtable lunch, you have a fantastic facilitated discussion, and then that person goes off and has a, has a conversation in the elevator with someone else at, at, in their office or what have you, and that person then has a conversation. And then, then all those other touch points, you know, maybe they then come in through, uh, maybe then they do a search and find, do a request a demo of the website or something. Who knows what, what then happens? But what people have missed is you've got to create the demand before you can capture the demand. So you really, uh, when you're looking at these sort of tactics or things that you're doing that are demand creation, often you're trying to take attribution and look at them and say, were they successful? Oh, I can't see any attribution coming from them. Where they really, you know, have done an enormous job in creating um, that demand for, for you to capture in a different way maybe later on. So uh, th- that's a great point that you bring up, right? So how do you communicate that with the leadership? Because, yes, it's, you know, it, it makes sense that, hey, we've done all this activity and there are certain things that can't be measured and therefore it, it would happen. A lead might come through, just like you said, they had a conversation in the elevator with somebody who attended the meeting and they maybe then looked up, they saw something on LinkedIn organically and they went and did a Google search and came through. How do you communicate that with the leadership so that it's not a finger pointing kind of activity where, hey, it's not, it was SEO because uh, they Googled us versus, no, it really, it was like it originated from that round table that we had. That was where the seed came came about, but we can't show you that, that uh, trail. How do you communicate that and how do you kind of educate the, um, either the sales team or even the leadership team who are looking at the finance team, who's looking at where to allocate budget? How do you approach that component? Yeah, it is, a, it is a tricky one. However, what I would say, I've never had a problem with it when you're dealing, when you have a tight partnership with your sales and your regional leaders. So it always comes back. And, and that's why, you know, it's, it's in my top three. Your relationship, your internal relationships are everything. 
And uh, that doesn't mean you'd be disingenuous. Uh, and, you know, with your relationships, you're very deliberate in the sense that you are a partner to that business. So what happens is these activities, let's, uh, let's just, you know, focus on a roundtable for the sake of the example right now. But, you know, the sales leaders that were at that roundtable, they built relationships with people they've been trying to build for a long time. Uh, they're then able to email that person or ring that person that they hadn't been able to do or get in front of that person. They completely understand the value of those uh, those tactics. They it is it is never a problem. And uh, what you will find too is the emails start bouncing around. Now you may not have that quantitative you know data, but what you will have is emails bouncing around, people saying this was the best thing that we've done for such a long time. I connected with this person. I did this. Whatever you'll you know this is what you know I find all the time. You know, you get the feedback from the people who you're partnering with, your sales organisation for me in this instance, um, who are highly appreciative of the work that you're doing, of the tactics that you're employing and and the value that they are seeing being created from those. So, again, you're not, you know, you'll find that also that the pipeline is, you know, the your pipeline coverage begins to grow. So you always want to know your baseline pipeline coverage and you want to see pipeline coverage growth and ultimately your revenue growth and um, and quality pipeline because you know if that's that we're going down a whole other discussion but um, but they're the things that really matter again when you have alignment and trust and partnering with your business across the business not just your sales organization but maybe you've got a partner and alliances organization and there'd be many you know services organization all those leaders uh, you are partnering with at all times and even HR you know um, a lot of the stuff we do uh, has a knock-on effect in terms of employee engagement everything we do as as an activity I see has broad reaching motions and effects across the whole business and so I'm always seeing myself as a partner to the business I'm not here for my own success so that I you know have a bright shiny gold star on me I'm here to make the business successful and the business as we mentioned is a sum of many parts so and so as you do activities as we mentioned back to the attribution that it's sometimes tricky to follow from a bouncing ball perspective in the attribution software, the business itself understands the value. I love that. I love that. For for Deborah, for those who might not be familiar with the term, I mean, I think everyone's familiar with revenue. But when you say pipeline coverage, what do you mean by pipeline coverage for, for some people that might not be familiar with the term? Yes, absolutely. So in, our, in software sales, you'll definitely always find that people know that if they need to sell a dollar's worth of software, they need three dollars worth of pipeline. So they may say one to to three uh, coverage is pretty typical, I would say. So that means that if they have a goal to sell one dollar, they know to sell one dollar's worth that they've got to have uh, three times that in their pipeline of deals to hit that goal. So we're always very aware of pipeline coverage goals because really the only thing I can do is help provide pipeline coverage. I can't close deals. <laughs> a lot of activities we do hopefully uh, help 
uh, the velocity of that sales cycle, maybe faster and maybe push it down that funnel a little bit further. But, you know, sales team have to close those deals. So we're here to help them drive that revenue towards that revenue goal and helping them, you know, create that pipeline coverage they need to achieve the goals that they've set out for themselves. Yeah, that 3x pipeline. Got it. Yeah. Got it. So, Deborah, what can marketers do now that that could be with or without attribution to maintain a strong relationship with sales and and and, and leadership? I mean, we've touched on this a little bit where the the attribution uh, Attribution component is tricky, and it's really having that strong relationship with both parties to to make sure there is there is a lot of alignment, and then there is not the, the finger pointing is reduced. Is there anything else that you think is really important for the marketing team to communicate to the sales team or to the leadership? Does anything else come come to mind when it comes to building that uh, strengthening that relationship? Yeah, I've got uh, I have I've write a little uh, sort of cheat sheet for my team in my previous company and I I often refer back to it all the time because one day I was like just sitting down thinking I'm going to write this out because I like to call them my C words and you know a bit of a joke there but really I, there were so many great words that start with C that really should be the foundations of um, doing great marketing within an organisation where you're building uh, trust, partnership and teamwork, you know. And should, we, should we give a heads up to anyone <laughs> listening if there are kids around, uh, Deborah? <laughs> uh, gosh, well, I'll keep it, I'll keep it clean. There's, there's another. <laughs> that sounds good. So I'm going to start with curiosity. And I think that's where everyone should start. You always start with curiosity. So, if you know, when you want to build a relationship with your sales organisation, this is where uh, I think a lot of the, you know, the headbutting between the departments goes on because there's a, a shared lack of curiosity. I think, you know, curiosity is so important. Seek first to understand. I think that's one of the, you know, seven habits of highly effective people or something. Be curious. Be curious about the business. Be curious about why they think they would like to do some sort of tactic that they would like to see done in their, you know, in marketing. And I think being curious is a very, very powerful uh, approach to any relationship that you're in. So staying curious is really important. And then another, and this I've got plenty of them, but I'm, so I'll just touch on a couple. But the other ones would be consultation. So again, if you're in a partnership, you just don't go off and do your own thing without having a chat <laughs> with someone. You know, uh, you need to. If you're in a if you're in a partnership, whatever that partnership is, you consult with the other person. Hey, I'm thinking that this would be a good idea. What do you think? Because and I think it's going to be a good idea because of these reasons. And they'll go absolutely. I'm completely on board. I support that. Or they might go well. You know, actually. Sounds good, but actually we will have a problem with that because of this, this, and this. And then, and then, you know, they know then that you're a partner with them, that you are partnering. So consultation, super important. Then communication and clarity, they're sort of similar, but you have to communicate all the time. Like marketing departments get very busy, whether you're the part, you know, marketing department of one or marketing department of many, you're busy. And you need to communicate all the time as much as you can clearly with clarity around what you're doing, why you're doing it and what's happening. So everyone knows what's going on. 
you know, communicate, 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 over-communicate. So important. But do it in a way that's uh, clear, simple, like as less words as possible. You know, and what I might mean by that, an example would be I always have a slide deck. I always have slides around every single activity that's going on, a very simple set of slides. And if I'm talking in a meeting or doing something, I can easily pull up that deck and just go, oh, this is this is this activity and just show the slide and talk to it to help, you know, provide that clarity. Another example might be, you know, you should be sending emails out saying, hey, team, you know, we're sponsoring this thing or we're, we're out here, we're doing this, we're, this campaign's in market, whatever it is. Simple emails that, again, you, you don't need, you want to do things uh, succinctly. You don't want to, you know, um, make it hard to digest. It has to be easily digestible. But you want to communicate all the time. Um, and then people feel like they know what's going on and, and they understand the work you're doing. So, and we could go on and on, but so, but maybe the last one I might touch on uh, from that I really like to talk about is cohesion and when you, you know, when you're in, when you've got that curiosity, uh, you've got good communication, providing really good clarity around what's going on, why you're doing it. You'll find that you are cohesive across the board, that everyone is working together, and that you know you're able to uh, really um, accelerate, you know, the growth that you're having because everyone's on the same page and and that brings in the other c words like culture are really important but yeah so there's some of the things that i that i work and maybe i'll touch on last one that i might talk about is commitment um and we haven't touched on this at all yet but i have a deep commitment to excellence so deeply committed to excellence so if we're going to do something we will do it really really well and that matters because that comes back to building trust in your partnership, your partner in the businesses or partners across the business in the various different departments or organisations, then trust you. They know that you're committed to excellence. They know that that you've um, that you've collaborated, you've consulted, you've communicated well, you've provided clarity and cohesion, and then you've delivered at a great level of excellence. So I think they're all the important things to focus on. I love that. I love that. That is, uh, I love the, we got, we had six of the C's. <laughs> so, uh, I, I'm, I'm, uh, that, that, that is an awesome collection and, and points, uh, to, for, for anyone to remember. I mean, I have curiosity, consultation, communication, cohesion, culture, and commitment. That is such a solid list. Thanks. Uh, thanks for sharing out there, bro. Have you read the state of ABM and APAC report yet? If you have, you'll know that 59% of marketing leaders are intending to increase their ABM investment in the coming year. Even bigger news is 0% of survey respondents are going to decrease their investment. It's an exciting time for ABM in the region. Discover the state of account-based marketing in APAC today. Download the full report at abm.xgrowth.com.au forward slash report. That's abm.xgrowth.com.au forward slash report. Now, Deborah, before we wrap this up, I have a couple of rapid fire questions that I want to ask you. Are you, are you uh, ready to go through those? Let's go. Okay. I know you're a reader. What is one resource? This could be a book, what it could also be a blog, a podcast, a talk, whatever it is, 
that has fundamentally had a massive impact on the way you work or you live? What comes to mind? Oh, well, I do love a good podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I love a great podcast. And I like to listen to podcasts if I'm traveling or whatever. Uh, maybe if I'm on a long car drive ever, even I will put on a podcast. And uh, there's lots of different ones I like. And depending on what, my, um, what I'm sort of feeling like in terms of do I want to listen to the business one or just a general, you know, interesting one. Lots of people love true crime. I'm not such a true crime, you know, listener. No, I'm not against it, but I just don't do much of it. I love a podcast called The Knowledge Project. It's this guy named Shane Parrish. He has fantastic people that on, you know, every couple of weeks, wherever, however many episodes he does, but they're excellent and they're real deep dives. Like they go for about an hour, sometimes up to two hours. That goes, they just really deep dive and... And people from all walks of life, but people who are really um, who are known to be experts in their field at all times, and super interesting. I really enjoy that one, and I can sort of listen to it for a bit and then catch up. You know, if I might only get through a third of it or something, come back to it. And I like that. And there's a couple of other ones called like the Moth, which is just real people telling real stories on stage. It's been a famous one for many, many years. So yeah, and then you know, there's there's a few others, but um, I think the Knowledge Project is right now my go-to because it's always great content. They're long and I can just come in and out of them pretty quickly. I I was listening to the Knowledge Project last week. <laughs> right. And I was, I was. I was listening to the episode that he did with Alan Mulally yes. uh, who took over Ford. And this guy was a superhero of my finance professor and when I was doing my MBA. Yes. And I was like, I need to listen to this. Yes. And it was it did not disappoint. Did yes. not disappoint. I, I'm the same. I look, you know, just as an aside, I in my previous company, I when COVID hit, I created very quickly a campaign locally called the Leaders Lounge. And it was designed again because I like to we, you know, I've often got you know, focus on engaging with our C-level audiences. And what, you know, what was interesting during that period was leaders, management and leaders had never gone through a difficult period like that or, or of sort of chaos because we'd never had a recession in Australia for 30 years. There'd never been some pivotal point like that had created enormous change and disruption in our market before. And uh, so people weren't armed. They didn't have experience. So I put on this thing called the Knowledge, um, sorry, not Knowledge Project, the Leaders Lounge. And I got, and because I had budget, because, you know, we again, we were, went into COVID, we couldn't spend on other things. I was able to reallocate my spend, did a great pivot, as we like to say. A great so, pivot. A great pivot. And we did them online. These, and my first guest was Al Malali. No way. Yeah, yeah. And so he was... He was phenomenal. I, I love Alan Mulally and I was so excited to see that he was on the Knowledge Project because I know a lot about him. I've researched him deeply before I used him in, in, um, in my ladies' lounge. And he, and he, you know, he was talking live with our audience. It was just phenomenal. We, I, we had some phenomenal guests on that, on that ladies' lounge. But what's really interesting to me is to see that he sort of made a resurgence recently and I think that's because of the you know um, uncertainty we're seeing with maybe a recession looming and uh, etc etc and so people are leaning back into his learnings and and the knowledge he's got to bring around that that's such an interesting point you're right because 
I mean, he he, he turned uh, Ford around from almost going bankrupt and losing billions of dollars. And uh, I, I I was surprised when I saw that name because I hadn't heard that name for, yeah. I don't know, 10 years. Yes, yes. And I was like, oh, of course. Um, Mulally was, was, was a big character. But uh, that's a, it's a very interesting observation. I, I love that. Question number two yes. is... What if you could give one advice to B2B marketers, what would it be? Well, we sort of talked through it a bit, but um, so I definitely, I would, I've got six words, which would be stay curious, be excellent, care deeply. And we haven't, you know, I do, we haven't really gone deeply into my, you know, be excellent moments, but it is a very big part of um, my modus operandi really in a lot of ways but so stay curious be excellent care deeply you know you don't have to when it comes to being excellent it doesn't mean that you have to be the you know the absolute best at everything it just means that you you set a high bar for yourself and you reach towards that at all times in whatever you're doing whatever that may be and that really relates to the next one which is caring deeply because I think you'll never succeed with great partnering with your business, great relationships, great marketing, unless you care. You have to care deeply about the results and about the business at large. And, and so you're sort of thinking outside yourself a little bit and caring deeply about um, the business that you're serving. I love it. Question number three. Yeah. Who are some of the influencers that you, that you follow? So I love listening to, we talked about the Knowledge Project and there's some great leaders that have spoken on that, like Alan Mulally. I, I, I love, his, love his teaching. If anyone is listening and doesn't know anything about Alan Mulally, go have a listen to the Knowledge Project. He's a brilliant man, really has had great results with his approach to work and the way he does it. There's, a, there's a, another person I interviewed on the Leaders' Lounge uh, again, we had fantastic guests. We had, you know, Julia Gillard. I had Gail Kelly, the CEO of Westpac. You know, we had fantastic Adam Grant. For those who know who Adam Grant is, like I did the most amazing group of people. But there was a so Alan Lally was one of my favourites and my first on the, on that Leeds Lunch project uh, program that we ran for a while during COVID. But another person I was so impressed with and still love, you know, listening to him if he's on someone else's podcast is a guy named the Admiral Bill McRaven, William McRaven. Now, he was sort of renowned because he was the admiral that led the mission that that captured or killed Osama bin Laden, but he was a Navy SEAL. Um, he's retired now, but he was the head of the Navy SEALs. He, he was featured in that movie, Captain Phillips, and because they are the crew that sort of came in and saved Captain Phillips. He, he's sort of, he's got so many things to his name, we could go on and on. But he was, you know, for the fact he was this, um, you know, admiral in the Navy, but, you know, Navy SEAL, and the things I'm sure that he's seen and had to do, uh, he's got an amazing approach to life and to leadership. And he did a um, he did a commencement speech, you know, as they call them in the US, and that's very famous called Make Your Bed. And for those who haven't seen it, and he is brilliant, and I so enjoyed talking with him. And when I was researching and getting him prepared and briefing him for our ladies' lounge, 
He's fabulous. Uh, some real lessons I've taken from the things he talks about. So he's, he's definitely, uh, along with Alan Mulally and a few other people that I, I really admire. I mean, the caliber of the people that you're talking about here is just yeah. astronomical. Yeah. Deborah. So, uh, I mean, later on, maybe after the call, I want to I want to hear more of your secrets of getting these people. Yeah. But um, but last question, Deborah. Last question that I have is, what is something that excites you about B two B today? So many things. I mean, firstly, we're back. You know, face to face. I think it's great. Everyone was getting a bit of that digital fatigue. I think so, and it's so important when it comes to relationship building. We know that, like. There's only so much you can do from the other side of a Zoom. Everything's almost better if you can be in the room where it happens. But it's uh, so that's great. I do, you know, if we try to circle back all the way to um, where we started with attribution, and I like the fact that sanity is now prevailing. We've got this um, person, this guy named Chris Walker, who runs a podcast for a company that he created called Refine Labs. And he's really creating this revolution around the thinking of attribution, specifically for B2B marketing um, and, mark- and, and where, uh, you know, the marketing attribution software has its place, but also bringing a bit of sanity back because we did go a little bit off the rails, I think, where we just were so data-led and, you know, we need to be data-informed. Um, the data informs us. It doesn't always have to lead us. Because if you, as we've just talked about, if you only look at the attribution you're seeing from the data, from your attribution software, and you make choices around which activities are the best ones and which are, you know, your performers or whatever, I think you're going to not get the best results that you can for your business. Uh, Again, depending on what your business is, and I'm coming from the perspective of what mine is, but I think you should be very careful and remember that it isn't a exact science and, uh, and you've got to see things as a holistic. And it certainly has its place, but it's not the whole. It's just a bit of a sum. I love it. Deborah. this has been a great conversation. I, I, I really enjoyed our chat. I think there is just so much insight that you've, you've shared from the building relationship with salespeople and the sales organization attribution uh, the 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 core pillars and the and the six C's there's been so much and and thought leadership and and people that you've talked to so i really appreciate it. thank you so much for coming on the podcast and and for your time and i'm sure a lot of listeners are going to feel the same thing so thank you thank you so much thanks it's been great talking with you too i've really enjoyed it thanks a lot Today's episode of Growth Colony was produced by Alexander Hipwell and Liza Maywald. It was edited by Dave Semedo with additional editing by Liza Maywald and music arrangement by Alexander and Liza. Special thanks to Tina Wabe. We couldn't make the show without you. Growth Colony is hosted by Shaheen Hoda, Director of Growth at Xgrowth. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and give us a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Do you think you'd be a great guest or just keen for a chat? Send through an email at podcast at xgrowth.com.au. That's podcast at xgrowth.com.au. That's all for now. We'll catch you next week right here on Growth Colony.